go. There it is. Now we're doing well. Uh, <laughs> there we go. I, I love it. Uh, it is such a pleasure to be here with these two gentlemen. And now in our third hour, as is normal, we are joined by uh, Mr. Uh, D.W., and he was the first uh, commercial airline pilot to fly a plane into New York City after 9-11. And uh, he has a lot of interesting stories, but I know we're going to stay on our theme here today. Also got my buddy Cal in here uh, from out in Arizona. Uh, but there's one thing I uh, wanted to uh, mention before uh, in my uh, old age here, before I forget it, <laughs> is tonight on the political cesspool, uh, a nationally syndicated radio show, uh, my good friend James Edwards, who've, uh, whom I've known for two decades now, uh, he is... Uh, uh, having a program, he is the head guy on the political cesspool, and he is taking a lead from a program we did last Sunday night on the Republic, Rebel, and the Renegades, and uh, it's on the Texas border situation. He has a former member of Congress and a member of Congress, and then he's going to have me come in on hour three. So, uh, folks, if you get a chance, tune in to the political cesspool. And now uh, I want to jump back uh, before we bring uh, Cal and DW in. I wanted to give Mark, uh, Mark and Paul a chance. Uh, well, wait just a second, guys. I got to read something here. This one sticks with me very much so. So, and I want to certainly want to get Paul's response here. But folks, I want you to listen. When you think this Bill of Rights gives you all of these rights that you don't have. I want you to listen to this, and this came from Richard Henry Lee to Patrick Henry on the 14th of September in 1789, and he is sending a letter to Patrick Henry, who is the governor of Virginia. He is sending him a letter about what's going on with the amendments to the Constitution, and so I'll read through it as quickly as possible. I have since waited to see the issue of the proposed amendments to the Constitution that I might give you the most exact account of that business. As they came from the House of Representatives, they were very far short of the wishes of our state convention. But as they are returned by the Senate, they are certainly much weakened. You may be assured that nothing on my part was left undone to prevent this, and every possible effort was used to give success to all of the amendments proposed by our country, he meant Virginia. We might as well have attempted to move Mount Atlas upon our shoulders. In fact, the idea of subsequent amendments was delusion altogether, and so intended by the greater part of those who arrogated to themselves the name of Federalist. I am grieved to see that too many look at the rights of the people as a miser examines a security to find a flaw in it. The great points of free election, jury trial, and criminal cases much loosened. The unlimited right of taxation and standing armies in peace remain exactly as they were. Some valuable rights are indeed declared, but the powers that remain are very sufficient to render them nugatory at the pleasure of the government. The most essential danger from the present system arises, in my opinion, from its tendency to a consolidated government. I'm not going to read the whole thing because he does go in at the end to how he tried to get the Tenth Amendment to read that or the people, the part, or the people. He wanted to remove that, where it just said that the, the states, but they, the Federalist lawyers put or to the people at the 
onto it, and then no one, you know, Richard Henry Lee immediately saw that they were going back to the people in aggregate. Mm. And he said that the people here is evidently designed for the people of the United States, not of the individual states. The former is the constitutional idea of the people, we the people, etc. It was affirmed the rights reserved by the states, bills of rights, did not belong to the states. I observed that then they belonged to the people of the states, but this mode of expressing was evidently calculated to give the residuum to the people of the United States, which was the constitutional language, and to deny it to the people of the individual states, at least that it left room for cavil and false construction. They refused to insert after the word people thereof, which would have put the power back in the states. He moved it on two occasions. It was defeated both times. Of course, the Anti-Federalists were outnumbered at the Constitutional Convention, I mean at the First Congress, 20 to 2. Uh, yep. Paul, you want to finish up uh, and tell us what your comment there was on that election, please, sir? Yeah, and that actually succinctly captures uh, you know, many of the main issues. First and foremost, you know, this idea which I, which I brought up, namely that we are not apparently a democracy, but we are a constitutional republic. Already, this story flies in the face of that, because this proposes to put the interests of the people of every state except one against the interests of that state. And it applies this principle to all states, which means that the states have nothing left in this, uh, in this great battle of power. Now, coming back to the, uh, I, I did want to make one more point, which was made Please. by, yeah, in this uh, uh, speech here that you read. All of the amendments, you know, so in the so-called Bill of Rights, dance around the primary issue, namely that, and I'll, I'll get to the Fifth Amendment in a second here, but, but, but the main point is all of them dance around the primary issue, namely that it refuses to identify what is the just property of a man that other men may not help themselves to legally. And every other so-called right, whether you know the specifically enumerated rights to arms or speech, all have plausibly deniable ways of violating property and still claiming that that violation is constitutional. And then finally, this leads me to the so-called Fifth Amendment, which some people have argued gives some sort of limited right to property. And why is it, by the way, why is the right to property the right that we should talk about? Because that's what the moral law, as it relates to, to relationships between men, is based on, that the idea that thou shall not steal. And very conveniently and obviously intentionally, that's not present in the Bill of Rights. The Fifth Amendment, some have argued, say, give you a limited right to say, well, the government can steal from you, but then if you have any problems with that, you can go and complain to these black-robed priests, the judiciary, and uh, you know, and maybe they have to steal from you using due process. And maybe if they ultimately steal from me, they'll have to recompense you based on you know what they believe is fair. And so this really, you know, the, 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 uh, the first of all, the idea that there is no federa uh, federation within this government, that the state's rights were indeed crushed by the notion of the rights belong to the people. And then this idea that even those rights intentionally miss, you know, miss, uh, do not specify the right on which moral law is based on as it relates to force among men, namely the right to property. 
Ah, very well said. Mark, uh, your thoughts, and then I'm going to uh, uh, let uh, you gentlemen respond to DW and Cal. I'm sure they have some questions as well. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, sure. I'll just uh, be brief on this because I, I agree with everything Paul has said. I mean, this, the, first, the First Amendment is problematic. It's the right of the people to appeal, you know, to redress their grievances. The minute you the minute you adopt that wording, you've made yourself subservient to a greater thing that you are um, appealing for redress. So the whole the whole construction is problematic right out of the gate. The Second Commandment, I mean, the Second Commandment, the Second uh, Amendment, they infringe all the time, and yet it's clearly written there: "Shall not infringe." These are more uh, propaganda. Uh, to, in my view, to support the monstrosity than anything else. And if you go all the way back to the dishonest Scrivener, Governor Morris, who penned the preamble to the Constitution, the great crime is right there. We the people. Well, we know the draft was we the states, the people of the states. Yes. Well, why does Governor Morris, in the Committee of Style, get the permission, the ability to change the wording. Well, because Rhode Island wasn't there. Certainly couldn't say all 13 states, because now you got a problem with the with the Article 13 of the existing Constitution at that moment. The subterfuge and deception that went on there, I did not know for most of my life. And I'm saddened that I didn't. I'm sad that there weren't people that would tell me the truth about this. And that's our job now. Our job, as painful as it is, because a lot of people are very emotionally connected to the stories, as Paul said, the mythology. And it's very hard. And that's why I distill these things down to moral questions. Is it right to steal? Can the majority morally steal? You know? So these are, these are the questions I think we have to deal with going forward. Not morally, but legally. <laughs> yeah, legally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Uh, DW, uh, do you have any questions or comments for Mark and Paul, please? Well, I just, I just want to say, I, I listened to the last hour, and I have to say, uh, I really appreciate uh, being a part of a conversation with two, two gentlemen who are so uh, articulate and and prepared on their material, and and. Uh, seem to have a a command <laughs> of the information. You know, Mike, guys, it's 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 unusual. <laughs> it's it's almost <laughs> sort of disorienting. You know, it's like, wow, look, this is awesome. You know, I thank you very much. Uh, my statement there. Um, well, there's so much. You guys covered so much ground. I I really wouldn't uh, take any. Uh, uh, exception to what what's been what i've been hearing um i i do find this idea of this uh this thing called the bill of rights and i i believe that the uh i believe people have it uh, upside down and backwards here in their uh, presumptions they not not only do the majority of people operate on emotions but they also operate on and, and mythologies but also presumptions and then the presumption is, is that they had this something called constitutional rights, which is silly. 
Uh, and then other people will say, well, they're constitutionally protected rights. I, I kind of find that silly, too. Uh, it seems to me to, uh, uh, you know, studying, studying the history and, 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 and the grammar, uh, it occurs to me that they're uh, conflating some things here. One of them being is that these Bill of Rights that were being advocated for were, in fact, to protect the 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 common man and woman and their states from the constitution and that the bill of rights has its origins if you will in the declaration of independence uh and stands uh, should it was uh as limited as it was was the uh, a uh, a stand to, to uh, barricade or pre- prevent an obstacle to the Constitution being uh, abused. Uh, very well so, stated. Let's uh, yeah. let's see if we can get our buddy Cal in here for a comment or two. Hit that. There you go, Cal. You found that uh, mute button, didn't you? Yeah, I've been waiting so I couldn't have that calatosis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Mark and Paul, awesome, awesome show today, guys. I mean, this is—I guess this is what it's like for you know, listening to Jim Ram show. If we're not, you know, in there being a guest with Mike, because you know the lessons and, and the messaging YouTube brought forward is so well done and so well articulated. Uh, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed. I mean, not just with your knowledge of history, but your ability to articulated it's it, it it's it's wonderful and refreshing i mean we've got mike and then you got someone like me just thumping along trying to trying to help spread the message and then the youtube gentlemen paul and mark come along you know and then we can throw karen in there we throw dw in there there's a lot of other people who are way more articulate and that's what this cause of liberty needs is needs people who can articulate to others what rightful liberty is mm-hmm. and to oh. show the moral fortitude of rightful liberty. Oh, very well I, stated. I, I, I'm yeah. so, I'm so glad to have heard of these guys. I hope, I hope these guys continue to, to come on your shows, Mike. I hope they join us on Thursdays. Well, I, that would be, I, I would like to arrange that at some point in time, but guys, I'm going to turn the tables on Cal and DW here. Uh, we're going to let uh, Mark and Paul ask you questions. Mark, you want to lead off? Awesome. Yeah, DW. By the way, I, I, I appreciate very much how you articulated what you uh, your 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 views on the Bill of Rights because you are right. You are you you totally nailed it. That that we have a misunderstanding of what they even are. If they were effective, like the the, pre- the very preamble to the Bill of Rights describe what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to restrict the federal government. Well, guess what? They didn't do at all. They didn't restrict. I mean, the classic cases. Is the Sedition Act of 1798? Where was the great restrictive power of the uh, of the, uh, uh, the 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 Bill of Rights? And of course, there was no restri- uh, restricted capability of those Bill of Rights to restrict the federal government, which is what their intent was for. I, I'd I'd love to hear how you came to that conclusion yourself. Did, was it your own personal research, or did you hear Mike, or did you did you just how did you come to realize the Bill of Rights aren't quite what we think they are? 
Well, uh, well, that's a good question, uh, uh, sir. Um, the uh, what what led me, led me to that thought chain, if you will, was the contradictions. And uh, mm, I'm yeah. I'm I'm a bit of an old I'm a bit of an old farm boy, and and um, kind of handy with, with equipment, machinery, and operating complex equipment. And you, you kind of have to know what you're doing, and you you can't make it up yeah. as you go along, you know. And I go, I just went back to my earliest my earliest uh, days on the farm as a boy, and we never let the fox watch the chicken house. Mm-hmm. And I go, so why is the fox in charge of the chicken house? Yeah, and uh, uh, it, you know, I call it the cornbread version. That's the cornbread version. So you're telling me you can put the you can put the coons and the fox inside the chicken house, and they're going to they're going to protect they're going to protect right. that from the snakes. I guess I, I see. I get it. So yeah, yeah. I get <laughs> okay, it. I Paul. All your questions for uh, Cal or DW, please, sir. Yeah, yeah. So this is more uh, for Cal or DW. It's more of a, uh, let's say, a reflection on culture and how, how things have maybe have changed. So one thing I'm wondering, you know, in, in this conversation and many like this, we rail on constitutional conservatives and constitutional conservatism for the logical and moral inconsistencies within. So, But what I've been wondering recently is, has our home crowd, by which I mean, let's say, conservatives by and large, have they given up on the Constitution, uh, by and large? In, in, and in other words, is that aspect of our work uh, coming to a close? Not not from the perspective that they have adopted, you know, the moral path of liberty and not, not, you know, rightful liberty, but from the perspective that are they now moving on to more, let's say, more honest and yet anti-liberty and anti-moral positions like, let's say, Christian nationalism. Or, or or the like, or you know, or other such movements you may have heard of. Right, Cal, you want to jump on that? Well, part of what the powers that be do, that be do, is so contention amongst the people. They they create difficulties and then they offer a solution. And usually, it's to surrender your liberty to do it. Now, that's human nature, and the powers that be know how to manipulate human nature. They've been doing it since, well, since civilization began, basically, but they've really perfected their art. And so they, they put out these these problems, you know, so supposed problems, you know, that everybody's facing, and then they offer the solution. And you'll notice that the solution always seems to be more government <laughs> every time. They always seem to offer more government. And their answer is, well, it's unconstitutional. Like you say, oh, it's just unconstitutional. And me, I've gone. I don't even say it's not unconstitutional anymore. I just go. The government's just exercising its implied powers it gave to itself in the Constitution. Mm, yeah. And I get the deer in the head, like, look, and then I can explain. Well, this is what Madison said. You know, father of the Constitution. No, no, no. He didn't say that. So it's like, well, do you actually know more about what the Constitution means than the guy who was the primary author of it? Mm, yeah. I, I, I hit him with that, you know, but it's a. It's, it's a long, slow road because these people, the mythology is is strong in them. Yeah. yeah. DW, your thoughts on that? Well, 
if I get the question right, uh, I would review the very premise that there is a conservative party because if there is, they have not conserved anything. Mm. And I think your choices here, their dialectical choices are left and lefter. (laughs) And the, the Republicans are a pretext for a Don King, uh, let's you two guys fight and we'll lose. It's, it's really that simple. Uh, so I don't, I don't really. Uh, I'm I'm a bit cynical about all this uh, with justification, I believe, and uh, I don't I don't put any merit in these things. Uh, to use the old language, and Mike and Cal can tell me who said this, but I think that it fits in this case. Is all these uh, all these uh, ideas for the most part. Uh, from even the alternative media and alternative talking heads are just a tub for a whale. Uh, these are these are distractions to keep you preoccupied with the perpetual circus and and give you uh, little stimuluses of hope while they run the clock out on you and waste your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so. Uh, I'll just finish this by saying you can always tell when you are talking with people or listening to them speak, and they can only see one side of the problem, uh, this uh, false left-right paradigm. Uh, You know that they are captured when you hear conservatives belating the liberal and the the socialist liberal uh, berating the Christian conservatives. You know that they are trapped in the dialectic. And to that end, they are both wrong. And But neither one of them has the uh, ability or integrity to repent. Mm-hmm. Mike, can I jump in there real quick on DW's comments? Please do. Because I think, yeah, Mike, DW, I think you nailed it. I really do. I, I think we're kind of, you know, in, in so many ways, you look at human history, as long as we've had it recorded, it appears as though political theory, political philosophy, uh, societal composition, these are all kind of evolutionary ideas, and I use that in the most you know, uh, useful way here, not as a Christian, I'm a believe in creation, but uh, uh, these are evolutionary ideas. And, and in a weird way, even this notion of a democratic republic is a evolutionary idea from is the divine rights of kings, you know, through, uh, emerging out of the... Uh, out of the uh, Enlightenment. And so I think that this is, like, natural for us to be evolving to the next thing, the next idea, because I think people are abandoning the the, uh, Constitution. I think people have had enough. They can't defend it. And as I deal with them, as I mentioned earlier, I try to make it a moral issue. I want them to say, I want them to be comfortable with either believing truth or accepting they believe a lie. I'm going to force them to confront that in, in, my, in, in the things that I do when I engage people. Because I did this to myself. You know, I, I, I will only, as the old saying goes for us preachers, when you're pointing one finger out, you remember three, you're pointing back at you. And, and I take that, that counsel very seriously. Um, I began with myself, my own repentance for my own naivete, my own 
uh, megalomania, my own sociopathologies. I began there. Once I realized why I fell prey to this, these stories, these mythologies about the Constitution and about our founding and all that, uh, well, the only recourse I had if I was going to be a man of integrity was to repent, was to admit I was wrong. Well, these are the kind of wedges I'm driving in people's minds now. I'm forcing them to confront, are you going to stay with the immoral, or are you going to repent and become moral? And align, make your, your thinking consistent. And I think this is the avenue to the next thing we do. I think people have moved on from the Constitution. I think that they'll, you know, they'll, they'll nod their heads still. And but they've lost every every factual argument they cannot prevail in. They can't prevail any longer in well if we just get the right people into office. They can't prevail in well the Congress is not allowed to do that. You know it's not constitutional. Um, they've seen so many of their hopes dashed by you know nine politically connected lawyers in black dresses. They've they've seen their hopes dashed so many times. They've put their hopes in politicians so many times only to be disappointed. And then there's a emerging group of people like us on the radio right now that are beginning to say, that's not the way, guys. That never was the way. We just got suckered. Okay, well, we can repent our way out of this, too. And um, I'm mindful of Jeremiah and the Scriptures calling the, uh, the Israelites to repentance from their... Uh, constant desire to make false gods, and God takes them into captivity um, because they won't. And he gives them every chance, but he sends Jeremiah out there to say, stop, stop, stop. I see Jeremiah's emerging all over the place. That's why some of us are friends even on this radio program. They're all over the place. They're calling people to repent, to stop. And I will tell you that I'm seeing a lot of people answer in the affirmative, is it enough? Is it too late? I don't know. That that I don't know. All we can do is be faithful to saying the Constitution is not the way. It was a ruse from the very beginning. A lot of us have finally figured it out. Now it's our job to say, okay, what's the next thing? Because if this isn't it, if this didn't restrain the impulses of man, what's next? What do we do now? Now we get into those kinds of discussions and we'll make real hay because now we give people hope. We give people a vision. Right now they're stuck with Trump and that's it. They're stuck with eight months hoping this guy can, can pull it off. And a lot of the energy is, you know, emotional and it's not very thoughtful because if you really looked at Trump's record, you'd see who he really is. Um, but I get it. We have to figure out a way to offer an option. And it's enough. It's not enough just to condemn the Constitution. It is a bad document. It's poorly written. It's poorly reasoned. It didn't restrain anybody, as the historical record shows. It's not enough just to tear that down, though I do. I mean, Mike, you, Mike, you I, and Paul, we do, a, we do our, our business on Facebook there. Uh, it, we also have to begin to say, what is your role in this? And now, what do we do going forward? Ah, great comments, Mark. And uh, Paul, you want to jump in there, buddy? Uh-oh, here comes the music. We'll be back on the other side.
handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Corporate media dominates the American opinion. Finding independent voices that counter this avalanche is becoming increasingly difficult. With the endless corruption running rampant throughout our government, independent voices are needed more than ever to battle the offensive against our freedoms and liberties. As a listener of RBN, no one understands this concept better than you. Now it's up to you to do your part. The time has come for you to take action and begin broadcasting the truth to hundreds or thousands of people every month. Sound impossible? Quite the contrary. With pointed slogans from LibertyStickers.com, you can reach countless sleeping Americans unaware that they live in a real-life wonderland. LibertyStickers.com has a huge inventory of political bumper stickers and messages that reflect the truth about our government, our politicians, and the future of America. With so many in stock, there's one perfect for you. Visit us today at LibertyStickers.com. Again, that's LibertyStickers.com. Do your part. Your voice is important. Let it be heard. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. My name is John. I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumers' house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get, and you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10.
Well, welcome back, everyone, to The Last Rebel, uh, Rebel Madman Radio Program here on RBN on the third day of February in the year of 2024. It's the day after Groundhog Day, and I didn't see one of them yesterday. So anyway, besides that, uh, Paul, you had some comments uh, to address towards what Mark had to say. Would you uh, uh, give us those, please, sir? Surely. So so Mark was talking about... uh you know, how we've done a, a, a fair job or a best job as we can on showing forth the logical and moral inconsistencies and flaws in the Constitution. But what's next? You know, and Mark mentioned repentance. But what could that look like when culture generally and people generally are in this sort of psychological matrix or trapped in this matrix? So some of the things I found helpful in, in sort of my own work over the years in, in talking to people is, uh, and when I say people in this case, I'm talking about Christians and conservatives in particular, is that they have many good and right intuitions in their value system, you know, whether that's on life or family or, you know, uh, things like helping the vulnerable and the poor. Um, but it, the, the what I have found helpful is connect that with the idea that every man is responsible for discerning what is right and wrong. And now that you've understood that, you know, we've all been suckered, as Mark says, and I agree, and I was part of that, is that this, this document that presumes to talk about rights and liberties has, is nothing of the sort. Then what's the next step? You know, we value life. We value family. We value community. Can we get to these values by violating the moral law of God? Is there any way by which we can disobey God and then hope to get these other blessings that you that, that are good blessings that you desire can you can you can you is this even logically possible and this sort of questioning has helped people think about this idea that there is really no way to get to good moral ends without using moral means and so that is what uh, you know it, it's not i'm not here to say that this works easily or broadly but many many people have been helped by this thought process which is the means do matter and, you know, there's really no way to get to good moral ends on subject on things you care about with, uh, by committing evil in your means as a means of getting there. Yeah, that's brilliant. Oh, great. A- absolutely fantastic there, Paul. Great uh, dissertation. D.W., you had a quote for us, please, sir. Would you uh, please provide it for the listeners? Yeah, uh- uh, Mr. Anonymous, break, uh, we were talking. Yeah, we were talking. Uh, there's an anonymous quote that uh, seems to segue perfectly into this uh, conversation at this point, and I, I would quote who it was, but I nobody seems to know. So his quote is: "When an honest man who has finally been told the truth, well, excuse me, when an honest man who's been lied to." is finally told the truth, at that point forward, he either stops being deceived or he stops being honest. Mm. And and at that point, you bring people to a, in a conversation, you bring them to a crossroads. They, they come to that crossroads at that point, and the question then after that becomes, the obvious one for me is, are you compliant? complacent or complicit 
in all those cases, you're culpable. And yeah. No, very well stated. Very well stated. Cal, your thoughts on that, buddy? Well, it was mentioned about forgiveness. And as I understand it, part of forgiveness is you don't sin no more. You go forth and sin no more. So uh, to me, part of that forgiveness is what you would have to do going forward once you realize and understand the fraud and the corruption and the immorality that this government and this constitution is, how could you continue to vote? Because that's what empowers the government. Yeah. Very Not well that. stated. Very well stated. If people want to know the first step. Hey, it's easy. Stop voting. Yeah. yeah. Great. Mark, uh, there's one thing I would like for you to do. I did not. I was not going to let you get away tonight without uh, telling us about uh, what you've done with your family and how you uh, have uh, moved towards complete self-sufficiency. Would you give us a kind yeah. of an idea about that, sir? I will. This this sort of comes from a passage of scripture out of the book of Proverbs that says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. And as we've all gone on these journeys, you know, kind of arriving at the same place, it seems like, um, you know, part of the journey is realizing the danger that we are presented with. And the writer of Proverbs makes it very clear that a prudent man sees it, takes refuge, but then he goes on further to say, The simple proceed ahead. And are destroyed. And for anyone who's ever done any flight training or is a pilot, uh, everyone knows that when you're in the air and you see a thundercloud in front of you, you don't fly right into it. Uh, you find ways around it. You take refuge away away from it. So we began to process this as a family over the past few years, and then made the decision last uh, uh, a year ago, uh, May twenty. 22, yeah, it would be May of 22, that we would all sell our homes, and um, and by all, I mean my daughter, who lived four doors down from us, my other daughter, her husband was getting out of the military, a friend of mine uh, that had been a longtime family friend, uh, lived in Edmond, Oklahoma, and got out of his home, and we bought property out here in rural Oklahoma uh, with the express goal of trying to get ourselves as sufficient, self-sufficient as possible. And we're on that journey. And thanks to dear friends like Paul, uh, who we are reserving a place for you down here, Paul, we continue to build it out. Um, we are, we are getting down the road of, um, of self-sufficiency in the last year, we built four homes on the land. Uh, we're now all able to heat our homes, provide electricity and, uh, and we've got our own septics. So we're all running pretty well. We've got animals that we've got probably six months of calories on the farm right now. So if all hell broke loose, we'd be able to make it for about six months. But it really began with that verse. Uh, we saw danger. We see danger. It's still amongst us. And while we can't be perfectly safe, nobody can, uh, these sociopaths have incredible imaginations on how to get to people, Um we can be as safe as we can be. And I think in that regard, be honoring to God. And, and I want to say something about what DW alluded to a moment ago, because I think he's right. I think when we can force people through our argument to admit that they are complicit and thus culpable in this, 
we then put them in a position where, as the Christian, we can begin to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit to bring about a conviction of sin, because that's what it is for the Christian, complicit um, uh, behavior and uh, that brings about um, uh, culpability can only be seen as sin, and sin must be repented for. You can't resolve it through intellect. You resolve it by admitting, I was wrong. And therein lies one of the great difficulties of all mankind, is to admit they're wrong. And that's exactly where I found myself years ago, admitting, being willing to admit, man, I got it all wrong. I am so sorry, Lord, that I did that. And so even our move out here into uh, rural Oklahoma uh, is part of that repentance. It's part of that change, because if we understand repentance to mean change of thinking, we needed to change our thinking as a family, and we did. So I've got my two adult children uh, out here with my uh, eight grandchildren. I've got a family friend out here, uh, their husbands. Um, my wife, my lovely bride, and I are out here, and uh, we, we expect very much to have others out here in the near future. We're preparing to harbor other people uh, here um, in keeping with the great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I think it's up to us now to begin to frame these arguments with our friends and our family and people we engage with as, as, as they have a Christian ethos that we should be framing these as culpability and complicity, which equals sin, which equals repentance. To the moral people that we know that are not believers, we need to get after them with making their uh, beliefs and transcend, transcendent objective morality consistent uh, with what they claim they believe, make their actions consistent. I don't see any other argument that can prevail out there, because we certainly can't argue for Trump. We can't argue for, oh, if we just get the right guys in there. We can't argue for, you know, if the Constitution will just be obeyed, and all that nonsense I spent way too many years doing. Uh, that is, a, that is a, a hollow argument. We've got to begin to frame these arguments intensely moral, and for the Christian, intensely biblical. Oh, well, thanks, Mark. I got a question for Paul now. Paul, if uh, one of your conservative friends uh, said to you, why are you being mean to me? What, <laughs> why aren't you mean to the left? Yeah. Why don't you pick on them? What's your response, sir? <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, thanks, Mike. Uh, so, you know, and, and this, is, this plays out men often. And so this is uh, what I tell them. You know, the left... Um, a lot of the values, or maybe I should say the anti-values of the modern progressive left, uh, which are dominant in culture, are in a sense anti-life, anti-family, and anti-liberty. But when you consider them as a whole, they are quite consistent with the premise of government, which is that there is no such thing as a nat the natural liberties of man um, which is the premise, you know, the violation of the moral law is the premise on which governments can be founded anywhere and by any man. And so the reason I don't preach to the left is not that, you know, I, they're, they're not worth preaching to or they're not undeserving, they're not deserving of liberty, but because I think there may be others more gifted to reach people who are already at that point where they don't um, even have an inkling of a suspicion that there is something wrong in all of this. And, you know, the, the, the right, the so-called right or the conservative uh, group 
which is kind of my home crowd where I came out of, you know, into anarchism, as I specified earlier, they have, as I said, at least a beginning of an intuition that something's awry, something is wrong. They have a beginning of an intuition, uh, especially among the Christians, that there is something like inherent dignity in every person, that there is something like rights that no other man may behave as God in your life, except God himself. And so the reason, this, this is kind of why I focus on my old home crowd, namely the conservative Christian group, where I try to take that intuition and bring it to full logical fruition, which is mm -hmm. to say that the moral law, namely that no man may steal from others, is objective, immutable, and has no, admits no exceptions or exemptions. And the only reason, the only way you can create something like a government that we see today is by granting exemptions or exceptions to some people. And so this is why I, I, I you know, maybe pick on or I, I continue to preach to the, to the conservative Christian crowd as opposed to the left. Oh, very well said. And, you know, what uh, you made me think of there, I'm not sure if you gentlemen are familiar with the wonderful uh, professor of history emeritus at the University of South Carolina, Clyde Wilson. But he made one of the most poignant statements I have ever read anywhere when he said the Democrats are the evil party and the Republicans are the stupid party. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, he he pretty well nailed it and 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 put it all in a nutshell, in my opinion. Uh, your thoughts on that, D.W.? Well, <clears throat> these these gentlemen make all of them make such uh, cogent points. Uh, I I guess I would just add another quote in here uh, that's actually unrebuttable, and and these are the kind of quotes we need, or the unrebuttable ones. Yep. And this one happens to come from uh, John, John Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And uh, he says, None are those who falsely believe they are free. Hmm. And, uh, of course, this, this draws out the contradictions again, doesn't it? it? Do you have freedom now? No. Do you have liberty? No. Tell me one thing you can do without a license or a registration. Tell me, mm -hmm. you, you know, are, are you are you monitored? Yeah. So, um, I, I think we have a, a great, you know, I one of the quotes. I I, I think you know, maybe I I thought that one up. I don't know, but it's uh, uh, there's a war on reality, and the weapons are words. And of course, the the words are the logos, yeah. the logos, and and it was the word, and yeah. so as as soldiers in this, we should be able to use words. And do we have any ammunition? Do you have ammunition? I my dictionary is my my favorite weapon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, well said, Cal. Your thoughts, buddy. Well, if we're going to read quotes, I, I've, I've got to read Isaac Morehouse. Okay. He, once wrote, he said, when the world becomes free, it will not be by the creation of new laws or the removal of old or new political leaders or any election result. It will not be because of a change in government, but because of a change in attitude toward government. 
It will not be because of legislation, but because of a disregard for legislation. Genuine change will come when the state is ignored, not reformed. It will come not when politicians are better, but when they are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. When the state-made law is no longer deemed necessary or important, it will not be respected. When it is not respected, it will not be enforced because it will be not enforceable. That's Isaac Morehouse. And I think that's the goal we're looking for, isn't it? Beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, gentlemen, we've got a little bit of time here, and I want to let my two primary guests give us a synopsis of their thoughts. And uh, so let's start with Mark. Mark, you want to put together kind of a synopsis of what we've covered here in the last three hours, sir? Yeah, thank you, Mike. It's been a wonderful three hours. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you and and, and look forward to future uh, events where we can be together and talk about these really important topics. I mean, we're all, I suspect, getting older. I'm in my mid-60s here. Who knows how many more years the good Lord has got for me planned. But I know I want to spend those final years preparing for my children and grandchildren and working... uh, to prevent what I know there are certain people on the planet that want to do to them. I think we have to personalize this to understand that for a whole host of reasons, global government has declared war on the people. And it is a hostile war uh, as well. And we have to come to terms with that, which makes us then come to terms with how did we get here? How did this happen to us? And then, again, I want to go back to what DW said. We've got to understand our own complicity in this. We are guilty as charged. The day we can communicate that to the people in an effective manner so that they do actually get on their knees and repent and acknowledge their part in this is the day things change. Up until that point, we're going to continue just to have to make the case. And I don't tend to believe we're super close to that point, but at the same time, I'm not going to dismiss the possibility that there could be a great awakening, but this time an actual great awakening. I I make the case to people that I know intimately well that, you know, I don't pretend to have any kind of a uh, reading the tea leaves here, but if, if I believe that God was judging anything right now, he's probably judging the church, his bride, for our complicity. And I just want to give one quick example, and then I'll turn it over to Mike and Paul. Think of the pro-life movement. Pretty much everybody in the pro-life movement is, are filled with, with, are well-meaning. They mean well. But they have subjugated themselves to a political process to fulfill the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not murder. Now just stop and think about that. They have subordinated themselves to a political process that says, if we can get the right people in office, if we can get the right Supreme Court justices in office, then we can end the wholesale slaughter of 63 million image bearers, of which I'm guilty of making that argument for probably 40 years of my life. I had to repent for that. That was wrong. Why would I subordinate the Eighth Commandment to the U.S. Constitution and the role of Article Three Judiciary. Why did I do that? Well, because I fell in love with mythology. I believed in mythology as Paul described. I believed all sorts of lies. I was comforted in my affluence. Look at the look at Galatians chapter three today, the Laodicean church. I was 
comfortable in my influence. It was offered to me as a way to end the evil of abortion, and it wasn't very hard to do. All I had to do was go vote. It was low cost for me to do it. I was complicit in every one of those 63 million murders. I had to repent for that. That's why the passion in which I speak and the passion in which I write comes from repentance. It doesn't come from arrogance. It comes from my own awareness. I did that. I don't anymore. Now I'm trying to, with however many years God gives me, I'm trying to focus on helping my fellow man untether themselves from this mythology they believe. Beautiful, beautiful, Mark. Paul, uh, Paul, you want to kind of close us out here, young fella? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. And uh, that was beautifully put, Mark. You know, as, as sort of a synopsis, we talked about uh, many of the blind spots that people who claim to care about liberty have. We, just, you know, we spoke at length about the Constitution, of various interesting stories about the subterfuge and the deception that went on. Um, highlighting, you know, uh, stories and lives of uh, Patrick Henry and many of his detractors or opponents. And I think towards the end, you know, and as Mark brought up, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, I would say, paths of repentance that we have started to walk on. And uh, we have awakened from some of our blind spots. And I think, I would, you know, the thing I encourage myself and even in conversations with my wife, and as Mark said, we, we have children and we're, you know, they'll have children, but we're really entering a world where even people who think they care about the law and morality uh, are maybe inadvertently complicit or, or, or compliant with tyranny and with the opposite of morality. Mm-hmm. What, what do we do? And, you know, and in that sort of line of thought, are there other actions we can take today? You know, Cal mentioned not voting. That's perfect. That's a perfect example of. Uh, removing our any shred of legitimacy that we may inadvertently give to the system, but what are other such actions? You know, it, does it involve helping uh, people get off of welfare? Does it involve challenging churches and, let's say, the professional uh, um, ministerial world to reevaluate five hundred one c three being in bed with the state yeah. in, in scenarios? There, what are the other things that we could do in this sort of path of repentance that we are trying to jointly walk and encourage one another to walk? And what are some blind spots that we may still have? It's, it's sort of you know, it's not like that I have answers to these, but these are the sort of questions that I, uh, that my wife and I uh, talk tend to talk about often uh, along these lines. Yeah. Oh. Great, Paul. Uh, that was just absolutely great. Let's. Uh, we got about a minute left. Uh, Cal and DW, uh, give us about a thirty-second synopsis from your point of view, please. DW, take off. The uh, I just finished this up. There's many things to say. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate yeah. the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Amen. both God and money. Hey. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Cal? No, first off, I just want to thank you, Mike, for inviting me and I just reiterate, you know, what, what wonderful guests you had on today. I mean, Mark and Paul, I, you guys knocked it out of the park. I, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for for everything you do and for furthering the cause of rightful liberty. I, I'm humbled and I'm honored to have been made your, made, uh, made contact with you so thank you guys no, likewise likewise 
Well, thank thank you guys. I tell you what, uh, there were times I've questioned why I was on social media, and uh, right here are two of the great reasons, Paul Amen. and Mark. Thank Amen. you guys. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. God bless everyone. We'll see you next week, and don't forget tomorrow night the Rebel and the <laughs> Renegades at 9 p.m. Eastern. God bless everyone. Good night. Wait till the cows come home to get your new ease off drop and lift. What in the world is an ease off drop and lift? Our ease off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure, and the ease off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay. I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E A Z E O F F.com. And hurry because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. Easeoff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. Easeoff LLC 417 932 6419. You can't handle the truth. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit Republic Broadcasting.org today because you can handle the truth.